0: Hello again everyone and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. I'm Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Andy is sick again. Andy, how bad is it?
1: It's not great. Uh, I hope it doesn't last two months like earlier this year, but I'll tell you, kids, they, they, I love her to death, but she is a little ball of germs just all the time. Yeah. She was homesick and coughing and sneezing in my face, and naturally I get sick because of that. So hopefully this will be over in, in like a week and I can
0: move on. Yeah, you can't stop kissing her. That's not going to happen. So just, just know that it will get better. My kids are 11 and 8 now, so uh, I find myself getting sick with a lot less regularity. But we'll we'll soldier on here. You you'll play hurt, and uh, we'll get we'll get into some hokies discussion as we always do, um, and then we will wrap it up with a week of bowl selections against the spread, um, getting us through next week. It's sort of the uh, appetizer portion of the bowl schedule. But uh, that's all I've got done so far. Unfortunately, the bowl guide has been nixed. It will not run this year. We did not have a designer for it,
1: so that's disappointing. It is. It's, this is this is, this could get people their Christmas money to spend on presents, all these
0: wins that you would give them on, in the bowl guide. Yeah, you, know, you, you laugh, but the bowl guide was it was hitting it like 63% like a couple of years in a row. It was really doing well. What is a um, good percentage?
1: Oh, for, as a gambler, When if you hit a number, a percent of pay, like people are going to be like, oh, I got that one wrong. But it's like, you know, you should be about 50-50 if these lines are correct. Like what is a good number to yeah, get? Yeah, if
0: you hit better than 52%, you will make a profit even with the biggerish, So you that's that's the sort of the baseline of success. I think anything over 55 is really good, and anything over 60 is amazing. Uh, you can make a living if you could do over
1: 60 all the time. Is that why Smooth Jimmy Apollo said, when you're right 52% of the time, you're wrong 48? Is that where that comes from? Thank
0: you for getting a, a Simpsons reference in early, because we need more of those on this cast. All right, let's get to some Hokie talk. More all-ACC honors for the Hokies. Uh, This one was the coaches uh, that made the selections. How different were they from the uh, media selections? You know, not that different. Um, The only first
1: team guy on this one was Joey Sly, the kicker. Uh, Woody Barron was on the second team, which I think was a little surprising. Uh, Isaiah Ford on the second team, which was less surprising just kind of when you look at the overall numbers. Uh, It it just seems like this wasn't a very well-regarded Hokies team in terms of individual performances. Uh, I I think the real snub would be Woody Barron. I think he played so well that uh you know, a guy first team had seventeen and a half tackles for a loss. I don't know how you can overlook that, uh, with first team consideration. But, you know, if he doesn't play for Clemson and Florida State and those guys get a lot of recognition on these teams. Uh Justin Fuente, coach of the year again, uh he was unanimous, uh, you know, the media picks, the A P picks and the coaches picks. Uh so I think it's pretty obvious that he had a pretty good coaching year. Uh, no Gerard Evans again, but, you know, as we've said before, the, the ACC is just stacked with quarterbacks. So uh, maybe that's not too surprising, but uh, kind of like a lot of years, the Hokies don't have a lot of individual guys on this team.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bucky and Isaiah. Uh, well, you mentioned Ford at least. And, and what's his status in terms of, I mean, I know you talked to him and you asked him, you did the dance um, about whether he's thinking about the draft or whether he's going to leave and that kind of thing. What are your thoughts on where Ford is, uh, mindset-wise, on, on the draft? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I
1: mean, I think you look at two guys, are they going to go pro, uh, Bucky Hodges or Isaiah Ford? I think those are the two you, you really think about with Virginia Tech. You know, Evans probably had the numbers to do it, but I, I just don't think he has the seasoning after one year at Division One to try to make a jump like that. Uh, certainly, kind of when you look at him having to go through reads and progressions and stuff like that, uh, that could use a little bit more work, but... Uh, you know, Mel Kuyper, ESPN's Mel Kuyper, had a teleconference the other day and I somehow got the first question on it. I think I called in early enough to get in the queue early enough, asked him about Bucky and Isaiah. He gave Bucky a first-round grade. He has a number 21, I think, on his big board overall. Uh, has him and O.J. Howard as, uh, you know, 1-2-2-1 one, two, two, one as the number one tight end in the draft. That's pretty hard to pass up. I know Bucky was close last year to possibly go in. Uh, decided to come back, get his degree. He, I think he is getting his degree in December. Uh, you know, you look at his uh, position that he's playing in college. It's not what his professional position is going to be. I mean, he's playing receiver right now, so I don't know really how much coming back would help him in terms of developing at the position that he's going to play at the next level. Uh, so if I were to guess of the two, I think Bucky is probably a more foregone conclusion that he'd be gone. Ford Kuyper gave him a solid second round projection, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, the, you, you look at the money, and yeah, if you're a higher first round pick, the bonus is higher. But you also have to guarantee that you'd move up into that first round by coming back for another year. I don't necessarily know if that would happen with Ford. I mean, he's not a, a four three speed kind of guy. He's not a six five kind of, you know, size kind of guy. He just kind of does everything well. So. I I don't know if he's going to necessarily have those kind of physical tools that all sudden would propel him up into the middle or high in the first round where, you know, it would really benefit him money-wise to come back. So uh, obviously there are other factors than just money. And, you know, Isaiah, we asked him about the other day, he said, you know, I could come back and get my degree. I could come back because this is my family here, you know, all the players and teammates and stuff like that. So there are plenty of reasons to come back. Uh, I just think, from a practical standpoint, if you're that highly ranked this year, and with the injury concerns of coming back, that a lot of times these guys will go, even if they're in the second round, like that. I mean, I, I can't predict what Isaiah's going to do,
0: but just looking at uh, his situation, I could definitely see a reason for him to go. I think we sort of disregard the family stuff, but I, as much as we, as much as we all know that these guys are, are quasi pros <laughs> at the college level, there is a difference. I mean, there is a difference in the camaraderie that you feel with the, the people in the locker room than you will in the cutthroat NFL. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a consideration. And he, he's a smart guy. Uh, I'm sure the degree is important to him. I'm sure it's important to his mother. Uh, and so, you know, they, that that's a, a bigger consideration than it might be for, for somebody who, who doesn't take all that all that serious. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, but you'd be stunned if Bucky were back, right? I mean, he just, right i would be because I, I think he was close last year to going. Uh-huh.
1: uh it, and like you know how i said isaiah doesn't really have those physical attributes that, that would prop you know push you up to the first round bucky does mm-hmm. i mean he's six seven uh 235 pounds he's gonna run like the wind at the combine i mean he's gonna put up those kind of numbers that i think nfl teams will will take notice of i mean th- those are the kind of sort of freakish numbers that people go, oh, he's a, he's a workout wonder. He's going to shoot up the draft. So, uh, I know he could probably develop a bit more in college, but when you have those kind of tools,
0: it, it's tough to
1: say no, especially when teams are, are offering that kind of
0: money. Yeah, well, early in the week, they, Virginia Tech held a press conference. Uh, they, they dubbed it a major, major press conference. Uh, they sent out some cryptic uh, tweets about what was, what was to come. And Found out what it was on Monday. I know you had an inkling it was about fundraising, and sure enough, it was the drive for 25. Explain that to us and what uh, what it is that they're trying to do with that.
1: Well, they're trying to up the donor base uh, of the Hokie Club to 25,000 members. Uh, right now, it's about 11,000. Uh, it sounds like it's been static, sort of uh, flatlined for a while, since the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and really this is just a, a fundraising push this is the second part of that fundraising push where you know in the spring they uh, instituted uh, required giving uh, when you buy season tickets uh, this is the second part of that where they're trying to expand the Hokie Club donor base to include people that aren't just buying tickets that to include people that want to give to Hokies Athletics just to give just to you know prop up the the athletic department and you know that's an important thing, and they they say it's uh, scholarships. That's the big deal right now. That's 14.5 million dollars to cost cover the cost of scholarships. Uh, they're only raising 11.5 million specifically for scholarships. So there's a shortfall there right now, which they have to pull from the operating budget. Now, uh, you know I know they say this money will go directly to that, but if it's going directly to that, that means they don't have to pull it from the operating budget. So it does allow them to spend money on other things in that sense, but. Uh, to go up to twenty-five thousand from eleven thousand, that is a pretty ambitious push. Uh, that's more than doubling it. Uh, it's trying to get up into the neighborhood of Clemson and Florida State and twenty-five thousand. They're the only two schools that approach that in the ACC. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if,
0: if they can do that over the next couple years. It is extremely ambitious. <clears throat> to more than double your donor base. Now, what is the minimum that you have to give in order to be a member of Hokie?
1: Uh, $100 a year is the minimum amount. Uh, I think with this whole drive for 25 thing, I think Whit Babcock and, and Frank Bieber and the people in charge would like $25 a month. If people can afford that, that's kind of their target goal with this. But you can go lower than that, and I, I think, honestly, they'll take anything they can get.
0: Yeah, and I thought one of the interesting quotes from Whit, and you, you told me off air that he said this before. I mean, this is not a new quote, but basically what he'd like to do is, is sort of change the mindset of the donor from one of a transactional uh, giving, you know, hey, I give you money, you give me better tickets, uh, that's how it's going to work, to a philanthropic, philanthropic uh, giving, just giving for the sake of giving. And, um, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that people will go for that? Uh, do you think that that has the potential of, of bringing in people who, you know, thought, hey, I'm not going to go to games, so what do I need to give for because I'm not worried about getting tickets because I live in Arizona or California or wherever.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the whole point of this thing is that, uh, you know, they've always said they want to expand it to people that aren't just coming to the games. And if you, if you say it's the only people that are coming to games are going to be people who donate, you really limit yourself to – uh, honestly, a two hundred and fifty mile radius of Blacksburg. I mean you mentioned Arizona, people aren't gonna fly in on a regular basis uh, to see football games, or at least if they do, it's a real hardship for them to do so. Uh, so I think they just want you know, fans of Hokies athletics in general to support the program any way they can. I and mean, this is a way to do it. Uh, I know it's it seems kind of unseemly in the world of college sports, but things cost money. it's a you know it's a realistic thing that. Uh, the schools that have the most revenue are the ones that are the most successful. And you can overcome that, but it helps to have that money. So I think what they're trying to do is just expand uh, beyond what the, the the sort of minimal uh, support of these programs that they can get and just bring people into the fold that haven't been in the fold before. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's easy to get a very small donation at first and then grow that over time. So I think that's why they don't mind it if it's very small just to start, just to get people used to the idea of supporting Virginia, Virginia Tech athletics through uh, donations like this. Because you look at, uh, like when those athletic revenue reports come out from the USA Today, the real deficit uh, between a school like Virginia Tech and places like uh, Texas and Michigan and all these schools at the top, the biggest difference is donations. Uh, I'm sure there are licensing fees and everybody talks about the, the conference money and SEC. Well, the the difference between the SEC and the ACC is not really that much, certainly relative to the sort of donation levels that you can get. I think that's the one single area that Virginia Tech has a lot of room that it can make up because, you know, they were citing uh, stats, Virginia Tech's 11th in giving, you know, 11th in percentage of donors who give, stuff like this, uh, all toward, sort of towards the bottom of the ACC, and you look at how they have performed at the ACC, I think they performed higher than what that donation level is. It kind of makes you wonder what they can do if they get a little bit more donations.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if the Michigans and Texases just have more huge donors rather than just a, a, a number, you know, just a, a raw figure of an amount of people who donate. They just have the, you know, the guys wearing the cowboy hats who dump two big you know, bags with dollar signs on them at that front door every year and that that's what uh, makes them so strong i don't know it sounds like tech thinks that that it's more of a number you know it, i guess it's both problems but it's probably um, you know, getting a, a, a larger base And you see it everywhere i mean in a sirius xm i got rid of sirius xm and they're basically offering me it for 99 cents you know they just want me back you know and and i'm not going back because i know once i go back they'll raise the price and I'll stay and you see it with other things as well subscriptions and such and I think that's what they're they're banking on right like the people think well I you know 100 bucks I can part with 100 bucks and then later they say well I've got more money now than I had when I gave the 100 bucks and I'm willing to give 200 or 300 and and you go from there right
1: yeah I think that's the strategy I mean that, that that's a strategy that makes sense in sales and, to, you know, get them in the fold, get them in the, the boat. And then it's it's I mean, have you ever tried to cancel or change your cable subscription? Mm-hmm. Like it, it becomes a, a difficult process. You sort of just get used to it. So I I think the whole idea is just getting people used to the fact that, hey, uh, you can pay for Virginia Tech Athletics. and It doesn't need to be this transactional thing where I give you money and you give me tickets. Uh, I can give you money just to see the, the sports pay for some things perhaps perform better so I, I think it's a drive that makes sense i do wonder if they'll get to the twenty-five thousand number uh that's a, a very lofty number you, you notice they didn't put a timetable on it so uh uh I, it makes you wonder how serious they are getting to that goal I, I think they'd like to get it but honestly i think if they don't get it and just increase the numbers quite a bit they can still consider this whole drive a success yeah i don't think they're going to get there
0: i mean and just call me a pessimist on this issue, but I mean, if, he, if people aren't used to giving, I, I don't think you more than double the the numbers. But you're right. I mean, maybe you reach for the clouds and you touch uh, you reach for the stars, touch the clouds, whatever the old saying is. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt to be ambitious, and certainly wit is nothing if not ambitious. He's shown it with his hires. Um, he's hired the best uh, available pretty much every time he's had a had a job opening in a, a major sport. And so he's doing the same thing here, really. Well, this is
1: his expertise, too. I mean, this mm-hmm. is his background, his fundraising. And I, I think when he came in, uh, there were a lot of things that were already in place for him in terms of facilities. Uh, obviously, successful football program that needs some tweaking to get it back. Uh, but, but that was all set. The uh, indoor facility was on its way to being built. I mean, facility-wise for football, they really didn't need to do anything. That was all set. Uh, other sports, they, they have uh, gone about some plans to renovate that stuff. Uh, obviously, basketball need to get a coach in there that was capable, and they found somebody and have a program that's on the rise there in both sports, you know, men's and women's. But I think the fundraising part of it uh, was a part that's lagged for a while. So in that sense, he was kind of the perfect hire for this because this is his area of specialties,
0: and uh, yeah, I think he's uh, doing a good job with it so far. I want to talk about Frank's role a bit because I know he's getting well compensated in quasi retirement. Uh, you know, what is it, eight hundred grand a year, or something like that? Uh, I don't
1: think it's quite that much. It's I, not that much. Okay, I, I can't remember what the I can't remember what the figure was. I think it was like two hundred. Yeah. Okay. That and
0: seems more reasonable than
1: you know what Bud Foster is making right now. True.
0: Okay. So yeah, but it's it's a significant amount to sort of stay around. And, and be the face he's he's the face of drive for 25 right i mean they, they installed him as that yeah he's the spokesman for it i wonder though i mean you know i see him he looks very uncomfortable or just sort of frank like on these uh tweets they send out you know drive for 25 i like it you know like and and you know he, he shows up at the press conference and everyone's asked him about milkshake flavors you know i mean it's like is he comfortable being this this cuddly teddy bear figure in in retirement. I think he always kind of was as a coach, but uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think it necessarily means him at all because he's always been sort of self-defecating and all that. Self-defecating? Uh, self deprecating <laughs> self deprecating <laughs> <Self-deprecating. laughs> If he was self-defecating, he'd have a lot more problems right now than, than, than what, uh, what I'm talking about. But if do you think he? Do you think he? The question is: Do you think he embraces this role? Do you think he likes this role? Did he look comfortable at the press conference under the circumstances? You know, I. It's tough to
1: tell. Uh, you know, I. I think he still uh, is a football coach at heart, but he has sort of those qualities that head football coaches do: is they can, you know, schmooze with people pretty well. I think you can drop Frank into any situation and he's going to make friends pretty well. And that's kind of what this whole role entails is making friends with people, right? Mm-hmm. It's convincing people to give you money for really, you know, nothing in return, nothing tangible in return, just sort of out of the goodness of their hearts and wanting to see these programs succeed. Uh, so, in that sense, I, I guess you'd be good. In another sense, I, I, I think. It's just sort of weird for football coaches to do this. It's like you've been doing this one thing for so long and now you shift to a uh, I don't even know, how do like a house cat role. you you're not outside in the wild anymore. Uh, it's just it's a strange transition. and uh, I know he loves Virginia Tech and uh, I don't know if this is uh, maybe the way the best use him, but this is the way that they need him right now. So I, I think it makes sense from that perspective. Uh, that he's the face of this whole thing. And, uh, you know, if there's one thing that Frank can do, it's get people passionate about Virginia Tech. So, in that sense, I, I guess it's a, a, a role that fits him well.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure Frank has internet yet. So, I mean, I'm, he probably won't hear this, but if he does, I'm sorry that we called you a self defecating house cat. Uh, that's really disrespectful on so many levels. Of course, mine was just a slip of the tongue, and yours was, uh, you didn't mean any harm by
1: no, I was just trying to explain the difference between being in one role like this and all of a sudden being in a, a different role, sort of an administrative role. It's an adjustment.
0: Deadspin will pick this up. Amac and Andy just destroy Frank Beamer for 40 minutes. Wakey Leaks. I mean, I that came out That's after. a great
1: hashtag, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, whoever came up with that, good job. Uh, explain Wake Forest's situation. And it would have been nice to be able to ask Frank about it in a sort of jovial manner, given that he had that zero-zero draw. Uh, that he apparently was not getting the information from this broadcaster uh, back in that time. But uh, what 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 happened there? What's going on at Wake Forest?
1: Uh, Tommy Elrod, the radio analyst for Wake Forest the last three years, as it turns out, has been offering some of Wake Forest game plans, secret plays, trick plays offensively to some of the opponents that they've had. And uh, this showed up this year against Louisville. Apparently, Wake Forest coaches found some plays that they had never run in a game uh, left over in the stadium or something like that uh, uh, in the Louisville booth. Or uh, I'm not exactly sure where they found these plays, but they found out somehow that Louisville had known some of their plays, uh, launched an internal investigation. Turns out it was this Tommy Elroy guy who used to be a coach. Uh, he was a player there. Later, a coach for Jim Grobe, uh, who then was not retained by Dave Clausen and his staff in 2014. So uh, maybe it was an axe-to-grind situation, I'm not sure. But he actually, uh, the Louisville offensive coordinator this year, I think, used to coach with him. I'm not sure if it was at Wake Forest, if it was somewhere else. But there was a connection there. He apparently called up the Louisville uh, assistant coach, and told him about some of their plays, and the Louisville coach accepted this information and passed it on to the defense. So he wasn't selling the secrets. He was just giving them away? At this point, it's tough to tell. Uh-huh. Uh, they, it seems like it might have just been done out of spite. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but uh uh if there's something more to it, it hasn't come out yet. But whatever the reason is, apparently he just gave away this information to some of the opponents, which is just bizarre. Like, for all the paranoid... Uh, theories that coaches have about people watching their practices, like all of a sudden something actually comes true, and like oh, somebody was giving away this information.
0: And, and not uh, only that, get. it's one of the you know, it's a position that is typically the most homer position ever. Right, right. You know, your color commentary, like at least your play by play game guy, usually has some sort of uh, a level of uh, professionalism. And but your, your your sidekick is there to just go, oh hell yeah, we're in the end zone again. Like that
1: Miami guy that we were listening to oh, on the, the way back from, what was that, North Carolina or whatever it was? There's Miami and Florida State, and that guy was perhaps the most homerish uh, announcer I think we've
0: ever heard. But this is bad for us, right? The, the, the work-a-day, work honest go-getter reporters and columnists, this is bad for us. Because like you said, it, it lends credence to all the paranoia that they have, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, his situation was unique in that he was sort of
1: granted inside access to this stuff. Right. I mean, they, all these coaches restrict uh, practice viewing now. I mean, it's not like it used to be where it's just wide open and anybody could come in there and watch it. Uh, but if you're a radio analyst like that and you're on the team's payroll, uh, they generally trust you a bit more. I, I would imagine Mike Burnup is allowed to show up at practice and watch whatever he wants to. Right. Uh, so that's sort of a degree of intimacy with the game plan and the players and what's going on that uh, people like you and I, who are impartial, are not, not privy to. So uh, I guess it would not be good for us because coaches would be like, well, that's just a perfect reason not to have anybody watch practice at all. But in another sense, I feel like this is sort of a specialized case where it was uh, certainly very insider information.
0: I realize that I've also sort of insulted Mike Burnup and his ilk in this whole conversation. Mike's a good, good dude and a good broadcaster.
1: He is pro-VT. I mean, he, he's he paid is. by Virginia Correct. Tech. It's, it's not like there's some illusion that he's supposed to be impartial in this situation. He's a Virginia Tech employee, so yes. obviously yes. he but roots he, for the home team. He's not that Miami guy, No, no, no
0: not even close. Nobody's <laughs> close to that guy. All right, Alan Thicke passed away this week. I'm transitioning very well on all of these things, but that's you know that's part of our childhood gone. And part of our adulthood, we both listen to the Dan Levitard show regularly, and he's hilarious. on there.
1: What do you think about
0: the loss of, this is a big loss.
1: Yeah, whenever, like, sitcom dads of the 90s and 80s die, it's like, oh, I remember that. That was like a big part of my TV viewing experience as a a child, so, yeah, that kind of stinks because he seemed like the celebrity that wasn't like a celebrity. Mm -hmm. He was very aware of his status and kind of joked about it, and uh, I don't know, on the Dan Levitard show, he seemed to be a very funny, laid-back kind of guy, so that's just kind of a bummer.
0: Is Michael Gross still alive? I believe so, yes. Because okay. if he's still alive, I still I feel like I still have my <coughs> number one sit- Who's your number one sitcom dad? Uh, that's a tough question. Gross, of course, played uh, Stephen Keaton. On... He was a pretty good one. Yeah, of course, Homer Simpson's not going to die, so we're all right there.
1: That you know of, yeah. That's what they said well, about mean, that's sort of Maude Flanders. Eleven, but uh, you know, that's a fair point. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it was Alan Thicke. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back through the sitcoms
0: and and uh, sort of hash all that stuff out and figure were, it out. Were you a big Family Ties guy? Because I thought he, Keaton was amazing. I thought Gross was amazing
1: in that role. I did like Family Ties. Uh, I don't know. He seemed a little bit like too like liberal lefty dad whereas Alan Thicke was more of like the every man's dad mm-hmm. on growing pains
0: so I don't know well you needed him to play off Michael J. Fox yeah the character. foil
1: of the you the know. young Republican yeah
0: right right okay well rest in peace Mr. Thicke uh, we enjoyed your work thoroughly both past and present um, Bull week is here bull season is here and that means gambling um, for for some of us that's a good gambling period. Andy, uh
1: really what else are you going to do on these bowls but how, gamble on them? Well,
0: uh, how much how much of this bowl season do you think you'll actually watch? How much uh, do you typically watch? Maybe half of it. Okay. I think there's some games where I just don't even
1: know that's going on or don't tune in because uh you know, they, sometimes there's just not a lot of interest in the game but you know sometimes you click it over in the fourth quarter and you're like oh this is 35 to 35 i'm gonna watch the rest of this thing or you see some buzz on twitter about how you know 50 points were scored in the first 10 minutes like sometimes those games just kind of sneak up on you so you click over and watch
0: like that bronco mendenhall byu finale last year remember that he fell behind like 35 nothing early on it was like oh virginia hired this guy then they ended up rallying and i think they lost by one um that was the Las Vegas Bowl, right? Yeah, that's cuz you wanted to be sent out there to that one. I I would love to. You know the the uh, Major League Baseball winter meetings are going to be in Vegas in 2 years and I'm thinking that uh I need to go report some things.
1: Something on the the Salem Red Sox.
0: Yeah, there's big news at the winter meetings this year. That's one right. That's right. I mean, guys from Salem, the Michael Kopeck traded. All right. I'll read you my little blurb because we're only going to do about eight of these, nine of these, because it will get us through this first week, and, and honestly that's all I've done to this point because of the bowl guide was nixed. Uh, the first first game is the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl, which is a, a battle of two historically black colleges, uh, North Carolina Central against Grambling, which it, you won't even see this one. Oh, on, this wasn't even on my bowl list. No, it, it, I don't know if it would have made the guide, because, but it has a line on it, so I went ahead and handicapped it. I'm um, taking North Carolina Central plus the fourteen i am taking the MEAC against the SWAC there. Grambling, um, uh, what I wrote, fitting that we kick off the guide with the school just one letter away from gambling. I have nothing to add NC, to that. <laughs> NC Central's only two losses came to FBS foes, Duke and Western Michigan, so they'll cover is the big pup here. Take that one to the bank, folks. Is that
1: sort of the litmus test for whether you have a gambling problem if you gamble on that particular bowl game? You know, or, is it, or is it like our, betting on all-star games? Like if you bet on the hockey all-star game or something like that, like you have a problem at that point.
0: I think spring training is it. And I've, I've been there, done that, and and, and we'll go back. Uh, but, yeah, that's spring training when people are running on the warning track and you've got money on it. Uh, that's bad.
1: Actually, the test is if you bet your life savings against the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> He's spinning the ball on his fingers. I see? thought the generals were due. <laughs>
0: All right, Gilded New Mexico Bowl. I'm taking UT San Antonio plus the seven against New Mexico. We're going pups early. Um, Shouldn't shouldn't there be some stipulation that a team that lost to Rutgers can't play in a bowl? That's my thought there. Uh, New Mexico has that ignominious distinction. UTSA playing in its first-ever bowl loses the game but keeps it close. Ignominious. That's a $10 word
1: there. Almost as good as self-defecating. I don't know anything about either of those two teams. I don't really have anything to offer them. Uh, that's the first bowl game, though. That's that's on December 17th. So I, I think some people will tune in just because it's football. Yes. You know? Yes. It's also, December
0: watch. 17th, a game I'm credentialed for but have not been approved to go cover. Las Vegas Bowl, San Diego State. I'm taking another dog <laughs> here, getting the three and a half over Houston. Uh, we kind of know what happened to Houston there at the end. Um, another live dog here is the Aztecs take – Take on Tom Hermanless Cougars, who are a long way from their week one upset of Oklahoma. SDSU running back Donnell Pumphrey has rushed for more than 2,000 yards this season, and he will get the job done here.
1: How many yards do you think he gets in this game? Because uh, it's crucial. He, he's 108 yards shy of Ron Dane's all time NCAA rushing record. Of 6,397 yards. Wow. So I have a vested interest as a Wisconsin graduate and somebody who was there when Ron Dane broke Ricky Williams' record. I have a vested interest in this. I actually will be rooting for Houston in this game to shut him down. Oh,
0: so how many again is he shot? He needs
1: 108. Yeah, and Houston, on average, I think gives up like 95 rushing yards per game.
0: I think he's going to get there. I think he's going to get there. Because I think, you know, I don't think Houston's going to get the, the, the kind of lead that would force them into a throwing situation. I think it'll
1: be tight. Uh, well, plus, I think the coach for San Diego State will do everything he can to get this kid the record. Shouldn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's already played in uh, like six or seven more games than Ron Dane ever did in his career. So oh. it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's one of these things where. You know, if guys are really good at running back and put up a ton of yards, they don't stay for four years. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of even strange that Ron Dane stayed there for all four years to get the record. But a guy at a smaller school like this, uh, you know, lesser competition than what Dane faced. You know, I'd kind of like to see Dane keep the record, but I don't think he will.
0: That's really good color commentary on this bull guide right there. Because I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. That's good That's stuff. me riding shotgun. At Three <laughs> thirty guy. p.m. on ABC on Saturday, guys. That's the Las Vegas Bowl. Tune in, see if Andy loses or I lose. One of one of the other will happen. Raycom Media Camellia Bowl. Uh, I think this is a new bowl this year. No, it's been around a couple okay. years. It's in Montgomery. <laughs> Five thirty p.m. on ESPN on Saturday. I'm taking Toledo and I'm giving the small amount here, the one and a half points over App State um yeah you're right that is in montgomery alabama uh mac teams can be a risky play in bowls as i've learned over the years but toledo qb logan woodside 3882 yards 43 tds nine picks he's a good one oklahoma's baker mayfield is the only fbs player with a higher passer efficiency rating than this kid from toledo so give me the rockets
1: you know, I saw Pat Forty's bowl picks, and he put the records of the conferences he went through and did a different one. I think he picked the Mac to go, like, 0-5 or 0-6. Yeah. Mac sucks in bowls. They're bad. I mean, historically, it's been like that. They always get put up against these pretty decent teams, and they underachieve in those games. It, it, half the time, it seems like their coaches have gone on to a better opportunity, so they're working with an interim coach anyway, but –
0: Either that or or in the case of um, they have a lot of passers. you know They have good passers, so you look at the numbers and you say, well, they should cover this. They've got a really good pass, which is what I just did here. Um, (laughs) But over the years, I've learned to distrust the Mac, and you'll find that out here as we go along. There's a couple more we've got to get to. Um, That's 5.30 p.m. on ESPN on Saturday. Also at five thirty PM this one on CBS Sports Network, Auto Nation Cure Bowl. I'm taking UCF minus five and a half over Arkansas State. That Florida. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of good coaches in Florida or big name coaches. I don't know how good Lane Kiffin is, but uh, what he took the FAU job, right? Right.
1: Well, you you were about to say that that those that Florida crowd. You were nearly to go down a, a beamer road there with a saying. Uh, no, Scott Frost has been pretty good in UCS first year. I mean that team that team was winless last year, I think, and now they're up to six wins to get to bowl
0: eligibility. That's pretty impressive turnaround. That is correct. Here is my blurb on it: One-handed linebacker Stegman Griffin, the AAC Defensive Player of the Year, gets a national stage to add to his sack total of eleven a year after going zero and twelve. The Knights should breeze here over the Red Wolves. Breeze.
1: Breeze. You think it's gonna be a big. Uh Line six and a
0: half. You think they're going to – Five clear? and a half. Five right. and a half? Okay. Uh, yeah, the guide says five and a half. We're going five and a half, so that's less that I have to cover. There you go. Uh, New Orleans Bowl, 9 p.m. That's the capper on Saturday. Southern Miss, I'm giving the four and a half <coughs> over Louisiana Lafayette. That's in the New Orleans Superdome. The return of quarterback Nick Mullins has been a big deal for the Golden Eagles, who lost to Old Dominion and Charlotte without him. Neither of these teams took the easy route here. I believe they're both 6 and 6, but Southern Miss is better.
1: I don't know anything about either of these yeah, teams it's either. Like, it's really kind of a lame. What game. do you think about 6 and 6 like two 6 and 6 teams in a bowl game? Like and not even like named school right? I mean, like are you like, okay with Southern it?
0: Southern Miss had Brett Favre.
1: Like I I know we have this debate every year where like are there too many bowls? Should these teams be playing in bowls? Like honestly, I have no problem with it, but I can see why it's just like sort of a blah yeah. tv experience like who went
0: oh six and six against six and six who cares you've got to gamble that's another uh, you're underscoring the point of gambling now the next one is a uh, miami beach bowl that's on december 19th i believe that's monday 2 two thirty p.m on espn now see this is where bowl season really kicks in because you you, you got a 230 game on a on a weekday i like that you know uh that's at marlins park in miami that's that was
1: site of that uh Justin Fuente coached Memphis against BYU right. coached Mendenhall brawl at the end of like a 55-50 to 50 game or something like that. Yeah. It's got a good history,
0: a storied history of this bowl game. It does. Hopefully we'll see something similar. I'm, I'm giving the 11-and-a-half with Tulsa over Central Michigan here. Uh, no bowl name better epitomizes the spirit of the college football postseason than the Miami Beach Bowl. Uh, this matchup is less than glamorous. Choff this pickup to Mac Fears. And Golden Hurricane running back James Flanders, who is always willing to give Homer Simpson a a hand if he needs it. An Oakley Doakley.
1: Yeah. I I I like Tulsa. I mean, we saw Tulsa last year. I mean this team can put up points. Yeah. Like covering
0: that doesn't seem like it'd be a big deal for them. Stupid sexy Flanders has fifteen hundred yards rushing this year. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, And I don't have blurbs for these, but I'll give you picks anyway, the the, the last two on our list here. Boca Raton Bowl, Memphis at Western Kentucky.
1: That's a pretty intriguing matchup, actually. That's like a sneaky good matchup between those two teams.
0: Yeah, that's at FAU Stadium, new home of Lane Kiffin. Uh, That's on December twentieth, 7 o'clock on ESPN. I'll give the five points with Western Kentucky. Here's the fun fact for them. Seven straight wins they've had. Uh, They've covered as 12-point favorites, 28-point favorites, 28-and-a-half, 21-and-a-half, 15-and-a-half. That tells me you can put up some points. And, uh, of course, uh, Memphis is better than those teams that they've they've rolled over. But uh, if you can score, you can cover the number. My question
1: here, uh, Jeff Brom was the coach of Western Kentucky, correct? And he's going to Purdue. Is he gonna, I was told there would be no questions. <laughs> is he going to coach in this game? I, I mean, if you have an interim coach, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure okay. I haven't seen this. I guess I should have done some
0: research before I, this. I can spin that however I want to. They, they, they really want to win for this interim coach, or, yeah, he's going to coach the game, and they really want to send him out. Honestly, I like
1: Memphis more in this game, okay. I think because of that. I think Memphis is a really sneaky good team. Is they, that
0: the only one other than uh, – the Pumphrey game that, uh, that you're going to be rooting against me probably? Or? Well, I'm not really rooting for anyone in All that right. one, but
1: I definitely want to see Ron Dane keep that record. Okay. So, All right. and He's, There's gonna, no chance that that guy doesn't break that record.
0: Finally, this will get you through to our next podcast. This is the final game before we'll tape our next one. <clears throat> December 21st, San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl. Uh, my mom always said poinsettia, but she was wrong. It's poinsettia. Did you know that? It's a lot of good foilage. Well, you know, and your parents probably did this to you, too. But, like, if your parents say it wrong, then you say it wrong, but you're convinced it's right because your parents said it. Right. And so, like, I was like, don't say poinsettia. The eye is silent. And finally, I learned that that's that's totally wrong. People were mocking you for years (laughs) behind your back because of this. BYU versus Wyoming. I don't know. It was 9 o'clock on ESPN, Qualcomm Stadium. I'll take the dog here. Give me Wyoming. Give me the eight and a half points. Uh, I'm a little gun shy about BYU after the aforementioned Bronco Mendenhall finale from last year, even though they did rally valiantly, I think I picked BYU in that game because I was still, I was already head over heels for Bronco. I had gone to the introductory press conference. I said, Bronco's the man. He's going to win this game and cover whatever the spread was. And, And he failed to do it. So now I hate BYU with a passion and, uh, Go Wyoming, cover that 8.5. This is a spite pick. It kind of is. Yeah.
1: yeah, sometimes they have those. Wyoming's a pretty good team. I think they were better than a lot of people thought they'd be this year.
0: Yeah, well – Sorry, those aren't really juicy. I mean, we'll get to some juicy ones next week. Juice or no juice, this kind of juicy. the game
1: that's sweeping the country from after last week.
0: I mean, when actually going through, I mean, I enjoy breaking these down, but actually going through them with you on the air, I realized that was probably painful for our listeners, and I apologize. Well, they really weren't that good of games. If you have a gambling problem, then you listen. Right. That's the that's the crucial part. I'm hoping you do uh, this for entertainment purposes only, and by and that you know. If you're entertained by making money, which is my assumption, you're entertained by making money. Um, this will be entertaining for you. Do you keep track? Oh yeah. Of your th- okay, so oh. we'll we'll revisit how oh, you did on these. Trust me, picks. Randy King keeps track as well. <laughs> He's and and viewers or readers over the years have kept track. I once received a bull guide in the mail. Uh, you know, when somebody mails you something, that's it's never it's never good. No, it's always well-documented uh, <laughs> of your failures. It just had big red X's over all my incorrect picks. I that's a
1: funny-looking cor- correct pick there, McFarlane.
0: Yes, but let's get off to a good start with these picks. And if uh, if they all fail, uh, I'll keep track of them this week. And so if they all fail next week, maybe we'll just skip the picking because I don't want to uh, – yeah, I don't want to give – No, no. I don't want to do the Stu Gotts thing and just give – crappy picks. no
1: we will continue okay if people sense that you're like off then they can bet against you they can you know what what's the bet in uh craps where you're going against the 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 don't pass line yeah Yeah, there you go you can be that that (laughs) jerk at the table that's going against the karma of the the table so
0: all right well join us next week when we'll get a little bit more into the arkansas matchup and uh any other news that kind of pokes out uh, over the next seven days but until then enjoy the bowl games And we'll talk to you next week. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. See you next time.